high up, oh God. We lift the name of Jesus in this place. We ask, Father, this day that for all those who have had a really tough week, that you would strengthen their knees, bring up their hearts, Father, fill them with your presence. For all those who may have received phone calls that they really didn't want to get this day, may you give their hearts peace to know that you are still there, still in control. We ask God for the chance to just lift you up even with whatever is going on and we still want to praise you oh God because we know you are there we know you are faithful we know you are strong this morning God as we gather in this place may you fill us with your presence we ask that you be with our pastor as he brings your words may our hearts be open to hear them we ask that you be with everybody sitting in this place for all the concerns, the worries, the things they have. Lord, let them bring them and lay them at your feet, knowing that you will take care of them in your will. God, for all those who don't know you this morning, whether it be in this building, on the air and streaming, wherever, may they not end this day without finding who the Son of God really is, the real reason for all the seasons the real reason to give honor and glory for the king of the universe. We lay everything we are, all that we have sung, and everything that we do, God, at the foot of the cross this day and ask that they would bring you glory and honor and fill us with your presence. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, you can go ahead and grab a seat. While you're doing that, um, for those of you who are here, if you want to grab your bulletin out, it's really fun that we finally have these again. It's fun to be able to pass something out. And um, Anyway, 
I'm not sure if that's true or not, but for those of you who make paper airplanes, just hold on to them until the end of the service, I would ask. A uh, couple of things, actually quite a few things coming up. This is the fun part for me, is that there is life beginning to return, kind of like when you drive past uh, the back bay and you start seeing all the yellow flowers everywhere, and, and the trees and bloom and all that kind of stuff, or the flowers and bloom, the trees, you get it, right? Life is returning, and in the same way stuff is happening, we had about 40 guys at our men's breakfast yesterday morning. It was so fun just to see friends and be able to break bread together and to, to worship together. Um, and then coming up, we have several things. One, we have child dedications coming up on Mother's Day, which is only about three weeks away. Husbands and kids, just your friendly reminder, Mother's Day is coming up very soon. We are going to do child dedications on that date. So, if you have not yet dedicated your children, if you have not yet dedicated yourselves to the very heavy responsibility of raising your children, I mean, because that's really what it is. We're not, we don't do children baptisms, we do child dedications, and a large part of that is focusing more on us as parents saying, I am committed to raising my son or my daughter in the Lord. So if that's you, and you, wanna, you want to come together with your church family and dedicate your children, let us know so that we can get you on the calendar for that. Also, something that we haven't done in a year because we haven't been gathered together is baptisms. And it is time for us to celebrate that very public declaration of a very internal decision to follow Jesus. And so if that's you, maybe you've been putting it off for a while, maybe you've been considering it, you want to get baptized, Two weeks from now, we are going to have a baptism class. It'll be right after church, and we will feed you. So, if you would like to eat, and you would like to understand what baptism is really about and whether it is for you, I invite you to just let us know. On the connection cards in your seat back, you can let us know. Pastor at LighthouseCommunity.com. For those of you who are joining us online, let us know you're interested in participating in that, and we will kind of run. And, and by the way, if you're not... If you're not ready to kind of be in person for that, then I, pro I guess you probably wouldn't be comfortable being back there with me, so I, I get it. Um, although we could figure it out. Like, I don't know, I can mail you water, but I don't think we're going to do that. That's just <laughs> not appropriate. I'm really sorry. Back up. Okay, turn your paper. Let's go on the inside because there's several things that are less just focused on internal lighthouse stuff and some more external light uh, stuff that's going on with the church at large. Remember, there's only one church in Costa Mesa. Jesus is the head of all of it. You know, we get to be one little outpost of that, and, we, and often we look for opportunities to join our larger church family in doing stuff. So a couple of things that are coming up. One, on May 6th, it's a Thursday, it's the National Day of Prayer, and we have not one, but two opportunities for you to gather at noon at City Hall, and then again later that evening at 6.30 to 8, there's going to be a gathering and worship at City Hall and praying over our city, over our, our, our state, over our nation, and over our own hearts. So I, I encourage you guys to get that on your calendar and see if you can join us. And then the big one. We always talk about not being in competition with other church communities, and Serve Day is one of those days where we get to live it out. It is something we do annually every year. It's going to be on Saturday, May 15th. There are going to be many, many projects that we're going to be doing around Costa Mesa, loving on our neighbors. You can participate in a couple of ways. Number one, you can participate just by showing up participating in that. And there's going to be some that are, you know, getting involved, trimming hedges, painting things, 
Um, but there's also going to be aspects that are going to be low touch for those of you who are not really ready to be back in circulation. Sometimes it's writing letters to people who are shut in and are incredibly lonely. Or I don't know what those things are. Maybe you have some ideas of ways that you can serve people in your sphere of influence. Maybe there are people that God has been laying on your heart and you're like, you know what, I just want to come alongside this person and show them how much Jesus loves them by the body of Christ loving on them. And if that's you, you can actually let us know how we can be serving. You can just go to lovecostamesa.org. You can both sign up or you can suggest a service project. And maybe part of that is like maybe you own a, um, a, an auto repair place and you want to offer uh, free oil changes for people. I don't know. Just hypothetically. <laughs> maybe. Um, I'm, just, I'm just saying because I could use an oil change. This is not, by the way, <laughs> this is not the time for you to say, hey, I've got a great opportunity for people to come and wash all my vehicles and, 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 and clean my house. Like I know that's tempting. Not the heart of this. And hey, Bjorn, it's good to see you. I'm glad you made it. And then the last thing that I want to let you know about, we've talked about having an app. There is a way for you to stay more up to date. I know a lot of you don't typically do a lot of stuff in, in front of your computer anymore. You do a lot more stuff on your phone. And so if you want to stay most up to date with Lighthouse, you can get the app. For those of you who are online, you can see the image right now of how to do that. For you. those of you in here, apparently we've joined the 21st century, there's a QRC code. All you have to do is pull out your smartphone. It's smarter than me. You just have to go ahead and take your camera app, take a picture of that, and it'll actually take you, uh, supposedly, to where you can download it. That's all I've got. Now, we can finally get into it. So, and Ethan, no, you don't need to download it. Mom's already done it. You're good. Um, now, go ahead and grab your Bibles. We are going to turn a corner into John's Gospel uh, we're going to be in John chapter 5, so go ahead and turn there. And this is one of those days where I am really grateful to have a study Bible that uh, has red letters in it. And for those of you who, who kind of are in the know, the red letters are the places where Jesus speaks, right? The red letters remind us this is Jesus talking as opposed to some of the other people who are talking about him. And I appreciate that because the reason that we're even reading John's gospel in the first place is we want to understand Jesus more. We want to know what he's about. We want to know how he thinks so that we can be discipled by him, shaped in his image. And so the red letters really help remind us, pay attention because Jesus is talking. But up to this point in John's gospel, there haven't been a lot of red letters. It's been kind of sporadic, a sentence here, a sentence there. Uh, wonderful, but not a lot. And then we come to John chapter 5, and all of that changes. Because the, uh, in my Bible, there's an entire page of red letters. One solid page, 29 uninterrupted verses. And let me just warn you that those verses are not light, fluffy stuff. They are some of the densest, most theologically meaty uh, sentences that we've come to so far. And in a lot of ways, it can feel like when you're trying to read through this, as we are going to do this morning, it can feel like you're trying to drink from a bright red fire hose. Anybody here remember the, the movie UHF, Weird Al Yankovic? There's that scene, okay, maybe I'm the only one, although my son has seen it. I've made sure he's seen it. There's this scene where the, the, the guy, Stanley Spatowski, says, hey, who wants to drink from the fire hose? And some little kid's like, I do, and he puts him on the back of a horse, and he opens the fire hose and literally blows the kid off the screen. And it's like, that's exactly what happens when we read this. We open our hearts, we get ready to just take it in, and then we just get a face full of 
way too fast water, theologically just weighty stuff, and some of it gets in there, but most of it blasts past us, and by the end of reading through this, we are exhausted, trying to catch our breath, and quite honestly, a little bit thankful that we got back to the, the softer, more gentle, dark, you know, black letters. So, whew, right? That's what we have in front of us, is we're going to take a big drink from the fire hose. But how can we avoid being overwhelmed by this? Well, one of the reasons why I think it's really difficult to encounter a passage like this and understand it is because in some ways we've been trained to read passages devotionally. And what I mean by that is that the things that we tend to gravitate towards on our, our devotional time in the morning is perhaps... Jesus calling, or for me, it's my utmost for his highest by, by Oswald Chambers. I love it. It's wonderful. But what ends up happening is these things kind of pull a sentence here, a passage there, and they put it at the top. And then they explain what they want to say. And so we get used to reading a verse or even a piece of a verse that has been pulled out of its context and just laid there for us as if it stand alone. And the truth of the matter is that passages like this don't lend themselves to that kind of reading. If we were to try to take this passage devotionally, if we were to try to just pull out a sentence here or there and understand it, we would come away more confused than we would inspired. And so we're not going to do that today. And it's yet another reminder that when it comes to God's word, context is absolutely crucial. We need to understand what is going on so that we can begin to understand why what Jesus is saying, he is saying. And so let me very briefly, before we dive into the fire hose, let me very briefly uh, remind you of what's going on. Last week, Jeff did an excellent job of beginning chapter 5 and reminding us of, of Jesus going into Jerusalem, and rather than going to Temple Mount, he goes just near it to this pool called Bethesda that has five covered colonnades. And this is a place where a lot of the sick and a lot of the crippleds would hang out. They would hang out hoping that they might find some healing. There was this kind of legendary belief that when the water got stirred up, the first person in would get healed. And so they waited there hoping they would be the one who would be healed. And Jesus walks into this place, into this crowd. He goes up to one particular guy, asks him this really crazy question of, do you want to be healed? Like, yeah, right? And then he says, okay, well then get up, pick up your mat, and walk home. And so the guy does exactly what Jesus says. He gets up, he picks up his mat, and miraculously he walks. Even though this guy has been an invalid, he's been a cripple for 38 years. He gets up on shaky legs and he begins to probably with a lot of concern at first and then elation, he begins to walk with his mat in his hands. And of course, as he's leaving this pool, it's right by the temple. So he walks right by a whole bunch of really well-meaning Jews who see this guy walking, carrying his mat on the Sabbath. And they're irate. What are you doing? Why are you breaking our Mosaic law? Why are you disregarding the Sabbath rules? Now, let me just be really clear. He wasn't really breaking the law of Moses. Like in, the, in the Ten Commandments, one of the first commandments is honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. It's a day of rest. And they're suggesting he's breaking that, but he's not really breaking that rule so much as he's breaking their interpretations of that rule. 
Because you, you see, the Jews, in their desire to protect people from breaking God's law, did similar to what those of you who have young kids in a pool do. You put fences up around your pool to make sure that children that are not ready to be around the pool without you know, drowning, you put those fences up to protect them from falling in. So they had created rules upon rules upon rules and interpretations upon interpretations of what it meant to work on the Sabbath. And they came up with things like you can only walk within a kilometer of your own home. That's a Sabbath day's walk. And you cannot carry a burden because that would be considered work. And by the way, dude, a mat is a burden in our understanding. So why are you breaking the Sabbath? And the guy goes, hey, hey, oh, don't, don't look at me. I, I, I'm, I'm just doing what the guy who healed me told me to do. And now all of a sudden, these really well-meaning Jews who are watching this guy disregarding some Sabbath rules that they feel are very important, their sights are fixed. Wait a minute. Who told you to disregard the Sabbath rules? He's like, I don't know. He realizes in that moment he never even caught the name of the guy who healed him. And so he's like, I don't know. Well, later on, he re-encounters Jesus. And Jesus informs of who he is so then the guy runs back to him and goes oh it was jesus jesus told me to break the sabbath like don't look at me look at him and so with that we begin to understand in verse 16 this is where we're going to start our study this morning in verse 16 we understand why because jesus was doing these things on the sabbath the jewish leaders began to persecute him who is this guy this so-called rabbi who would lead people to disregard Sabbath law. He's disrespectful. And we need to make sure that he is called out about this. Well, of course, Jesus is going to want to defend himself because he doesn't feel like he has been disregarding God's law. If anything, he feels like what he has done is actually keeping up God's law. We'll get to that in a little bit. And so he is going to make a case for himself. I've been thinking a lot about this section that we're about to encounter, and I just want to give you a framework for understanding what we are about to experience. Some of you like law shows, right? Some of you were raised on Matlock or, or um, what, what are these, you know, um, Perry Mason. Some of you really love John Grisham. I know we got some John Grisham uh, novel readers, and some of you are like, John Grisham's an author? I thought he just wrote movies, right? So some of you have watched his movies. Others of you are more into the newer ones, Suits or Law and Order or one of the other ones, right? So you've watched a ton. Right? Some of you are like, he didn't say my favorite one. He's not a good pastor, right? <laughs> Just know I'm thinking it with you. So you've watched law shows, and they always follow a, a kind of a certain thing. You have a crime that has been committed. Then you have the accusations that are brought, right? These are, these are the things that we are going to go after this person in a courtroom about. And then you have the defense that is made and the resolution. I would suggest to you that when we look at John 5, it plays out just like that. It starts with Jesus doing something that they consider to be an infraction of the law. He has healed somebody on the Sabbath. They bring their allegations to Jesus. How dare you heal somebody on the Sabbath and so disregard it? And then Jesus will make his case. That is what we are going to experience. The first thing Jesus does is he tries to explain why he had the audacity to heal somebody on the Sabbath. So, verse 17. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at work to this very day, and I 
two in working. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, think about it for a second. The Sabbath is important for humanity. It's a, it's a day of rest. It's a day of laying down our labor. But does God ever truly rest? I mean, he continues to hold the world together. He continues to make sure there's oxygen for us to breathe. He continues to allow children to be born and all these kind of things. God works every single moment of every single day. He never goes off duty. And as his son, it is my responsibility not to cease. So Jesus is basically saying, God doesn't quit. I'm not going to quit. And he is claiming to have a divine prerogative to continue to work on the Sabbath because he is God's son. This is now a step way beyond healing somebody on the Sabbath, a step way beyond encouraging somebody to pick up a mat and walk on the Sabbath. Jesus is now claiming to be divine. Don't miss this, because the, the Pharisees certainly didn't miss the, the ramifications of this. Jesus is claiming to be God in human flesh, part of the divine Godhead, and he's claiming to have the right to disregard or reinterpret what it means to observe the Sabbath. And this is a bigger crime in their minds than just healing somebody on the Sabbath. And so we read in verse 18, for this reason they tried all the more to kill him. He deserves the death penalty for that one. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but now he was even calling God his own father, um, making himself equal with God. So these are the two crimes supposedly of Jesus healing somebody on the Sabbath calling himself God in human flesh and having a divine prerogative to heal on the Sabbath Jesus is now going to bring his defense and I'm going to warn you it's a lot here we go 29 uninterrupted verses we're, we're going to take it mouthfuls so we're going to take piece by piece this first one though is going to be a doozy so ready hold your breath here we go Jesus said to them this answer Truly, truly, or, or, or amen, amen, I tell you that the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son, and he shows him all that he does. And yes, he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so even the Son of Man gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but he has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whomever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Amen, amen, I tell you that whoever hears my words and believes them, who believes him who sent me, has eternal life and won't be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. Amen, amen, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge, because he is the Son of Man. So don't be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear the voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to life, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. But myself, or by myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. <sighs> How you doing? You, you with me? That's a lot. I know that's a lot. That was like 
boom, boom. I mean, this is, this is not light stuff. And we could probably spend several weeks just unpacking that, that paragraph I read. But instead, uh, because I do want to kind of get to the culmination of this whole thing, um, instead I have decided to just give you a paraphrase. And this is kind of like some people have layman's terms. This is going to be wayman's terms, my attempt to try to paraphrase what Jesus has just said. Listen, guys. I'm not claiming some authority of my own. As God's son, I'm his ambassador sent to carry out his will. When I speak, my words carry the weight of his authority. So if you disregard them, you do so at your own peril. But don't think that I can just do anything I want. I only do what I see the Father doing, and he has authorized me to do. The Father's the one who gives life, and he has authorized me to give life to those who hear my words and believe. And the Father is the only one who has the right to pass judgment on humanity. But as his ambassador, he has authorized me to pass judgment. But don't worry. I won't judge any way that I want. You can rest assured that I will be a just judge. Because I'm not looking to please myself, but rather to please my Father who sent me. So that's Jesus' opening salvo. Here's who I am. This is what I'm about. This is what I've been sent to do. You can disregard me, but you do so at your own peril because I represent the Father, and in rejecting me, you reject the Father. But something that's really important about Jewish law that we need to keep in consideration because Jesus is about to reference it is that no person could walk into a Jewish court of law and make a claim about themselves and hope that it would be believed because anybody can say anything about anything. And so in a Jewish court of law, and this was following some passages in Deuteronomy and elsewhere, you always were required to have at, mo at, at least two witnesses to corroborate something. You needed to have evidence to give a support for what you were claiming. Otherwise, they would simply disregard it out of hat. And Jesus acknowledges that in verse 31. He says, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. Or to put it another way, my testimony would be inadmissible. But there's another one who testifies in my favor. And I know that his testimony about me is true. And now he, he calls his first character witness, John the Baptist. You have sent to John and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention this so that you might be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light. And you chose for a time to enjoy his light. And we remember... Those of us who are reading remember from the beginning of John how often John the Baptist testified and pointed to Jesus and said, there is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So John, we are well aware, has testified to who Jesus is. But that's not all I've got. John's my first character witness, but there's other evidence to corroborate what I'm claiming. I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I'm doing testify that the Father has sent me. You don't believe John? At least look at the things I've been doing. Why are people following me? Because of the signs that they've seen. Water changed to wine, cleaning out the temple, healing a centurion's son, or a, a, a nobleman's son. Like, you're seeing all of this stuff happening. Those signs affirm that I am who I claim to be. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. So if you, John the Baptist isn't your cup of tea, how about the Father himself? Because the very scriptures that you guys read, those are God's words to you. And they point to me. Verse 
37. The Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice or seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you don't believe the one he sent. Because you study the scriptures diligently, thinking that in them you have eternal life. But these are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me and have life. Now, Jesus is starting to do something with that little paragraph that I think a lot of really good, really satisfying uh, courtroom dramas do. And that is he's beginning to turn the tables on his accusers. He's beginning to kind of turn the focus back onto the very people who were bringing these allegations against him and saying, you are a rule breaker. And he's saying, "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh, let's have a take a look at you. And, And something that's really different about Jewish law than our law that we're familiar with is for us today, if somebody is in a courtroom, the whole goal of that is guilt or innocence. That's it. And only the person who is on the, in, in the defense seat, that is the only person that can be found guilty in that particular trial. But that's not the case with Jewish law. For Jews, when they opened a courtroom, when, when allegations were brought, and they found going through the court proceedings that the person who was initially accused is not guilty, then they would continue to look for who is guilty. And that person could ultimately be charged in that same case. And so Jesus is now going to turn the tables on his accusers and say, you guys are accusing me of breaking some rules, but don't you realize that by disregarding me, you have completely missed the heart of God and you are rejecting the one he has sent. You look to the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you, you have life, but I am the one that the scriptures have been pointing to this whole time. And yet you refuse to come to me and actually experience the life that you've been longing for. And now he's going to lean in and he's going to go after them. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you don't have the love of God in your hearts. I've come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you'll accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but you don't seek glory from the one and only God? You guys are more concerned with other people's opinions about you than you are about God's opinion about you. Woe to you. But don't think that I will accuse you before the Father. Oh, no, that's not, I'm not going to do that. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you don't believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? It's funny how we oftentimes think of Jesus as this meek and mild Mr. Rogers, right? There's nothing meek and mild about that. This is like Tom Cruise in a, a, A Few Good Men, going after Jack Nicholson's character on the stage, right? Did you order the code red? Right? That's the the level of intensity with which Jesus is coming after the very people who wanted to accuse him and, and subject him to death. Did you order the code red? You have missed the heart of God, but I'm not going to accuse you. Moses is going to accuse you because he wrote about me and you're not listening to him, so why would you ever listen to me? And then John does something incredibly surprising. He cuts the scene in that moment. 
That's the last we hear about this. He doesn't tell us how the, the Jewish leaders respond. He doesn't tell us how Jesus gets out of there in one piece. He doesn't tell us how this all culminates. He simply ends the scene fade to black. Why? I would suggest he does so because he is not ultimately focused on how the Pharisees respond. He's not ultimately concerned with convincing the Pharisees or showing us what they choose to do. He is ultimately forcing you and I and everybody else who reads his gospel to put themselves into the Pharisees' sandals, find ourselves in the jury box. We are now forced to answer the same question that the Pharisees were forced to answer on that day. Who is Jesus to you? What do you say? We've seen how they missed the heart of God. We've seen how their own understanding of the law and their, all of their interpretations and their tradition, you know, all of that got in the way. And we've seen the ways that Jesus came with a two-by-four of truth to just kind of lovingly knock them upside the head when he is typically so gentle and kind to broken, hurting people. But he wasn't pulling his punches today. Because these were hard-hearted people who had, were so reliant on their own interpretations that they simply could not understand what God was doing. And Jesus, in his frustration of, come on, God is for you. I'm here for you. And in his frustration, he is willing to jackhammer up some of the hardness, hoping, perhaps futilely, hoping that somebody in that audience will go, maybe I really have missed the point. Maybe I really have turned the law into a, into a ladder that I was hoping to climb into heaven, and, and maybe it can't do what I was hoping for it to do. And so John does not give us the resolution. Instead, he cuts to black, and he leaves us with this question that each of us, as a jury member, must answer. Who is Jesus to you? Is he, as, as many people around the world throughout history have taken, is he simply a really good dude with a great heart who was very wise, who brought wisdom that we can then live out of? Was he just a wise teacher? Or was there something more to him? But before you answer that question, we need to take something into consideration that C.S. Lewis made very, very clear in his book, Mere Christianity. And that is, if we want, not yet, not there yet. Go away. Thank you. <laughs> if we want to simply take Jesus as a good moral teacher, he does not leave that option open to us. Because Jesus makes some audacious claims about himself, namely to be the son of God who has a divine prerogative to do what God does. To be able to forgive sins? If, if he's not God, that is a ridiculously audacious claim. And so we are left with Jesus either knew he wasn't the son of God, knew he didn't have that right, but he was a shameless liar. Or he was delusional, he was a lunatic that had delusions of grandeur. Or he truly was who he claimed to be, and he is the rightful Lord of our lives. That's it. This is what C.S. Lewis said. Now let's go for it. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman, 
or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So again, I ask you, who is Jesus to you? Is he somebody that was willing to lie and did some remarkable things? Is he somebody who, with delusions of grandeur, a lunatic that wasn't really who he claimed to be? Or is he truly the Savior of the world, the Son of God, and therefore the rightful Lord of your life? That is perhaps the most important question you can answer for yourself. And John is not willing to let the Pharisees answer for you. You're in the jury box. He has made his defense. Who do you say Jesus is? Because how you answer that question should affect the way that we live our lives, should affect the ways that we come to him, should even affect the ways that we read this documentation of his interactions. So who is Jesus to you? I'm going to leave you with that question. We will grapple with how it plays out in other areas next week. But I just encourage you guys to grapple with that question. Who is Jesus to you? And what difference does that make in your life? Father God, I am so grateful. I'm so grateful for that fire hose of, of, of truth from Jesus. I'm grateful for the hard words that he says, even though sometimes they're confusing, even though sometimes it's just a lot to, to get through. I'm grateful that Jesus didn't pull his punches. I'm grateful for the times he's not like Mr. Rogers. He's more like William Wallace. I'm grateful that he is willing to stand up to misunderstanding, even when it's God's own people and he has a yearning for them. And God, we, have a, we recognize that we have misunderstandings of who Jesus is and what he came to do and what it looks like to say yes to him. There are things where we have misinterpreted God's heart. And I pray that just as Jesus did on that day, that, that your Holy Spirit would begin to reveal in us the ways we've misunderstood Him. Would you bring us to that crisis of belief where we are forced to, a question, to the answer that question for ourselves? Jesus, who are you? Are you nothing more than a human who is lying or self, you know, lying to yourself perhaps? Or are you truly my Savior? And are you truly the Lord of my life? Because if so, then I choose to follow you. I pray that you would help give us clarity in that today as we worship you. Jesus, in your holy name, amen. Let's worship together.
So, so I might have accidentally um, broken that song for myself this morning because we, we, as we were preparing, I, I, I heard Waymaker and I heard initially as I was walking in Pacemaker. And it totally got that word in my, I didn't need a rim shot on it. Like I didn't need one. But I, I, I started thinking about that. You are my pacemaker, my anxiety taker. Like, that is who you are. And I need you to be that for me because you never stop working. I can. And here's, here's the thing I've recognized about this season. We've been talking about Sabbath today, so let me just go ahead and wrap it up with this. One of the really difficult things in COVID, at least for me, is that when we're not going anywhere, all of your rhythms get thrown off. I don't know if that's case for you, but they have been for me. All of my rhythms just kind of melted, kind of like when you get a Sunday and then you let it sit there and after about an hour it's just kind of melted into this sludgy yuck and you're like, it's still got all the sugar and sweetness, but I have very little desire to eat that. In the same way, my schedule has just become this muddled mess of ugh. My rhythms are off. There is something so wonderful about being here on a Sunday, getting to celebrate together, because this is a day where we get to rest from all of our work, knowing that he never stops working, that our Lord God Almighty is at work even now. Even if you're not at work, he is at work. And so we can rest because he is our pacemaker. He is our anxiety taker. He is, the, he is not only our Savior, He is the rightful Lord of our life. We might have to rewrite that song. Are you going to sing? No, I, I'm not. I'm done. I can't. I'm we're, telling we're you, ready. my wife makes fun of me because I'm like, I, I'm like changing octaves in mid-sentence. Like I, I'm, I am like a junior high prepubescent boy. Like I cannot stay on tune, so I'm not going to sing right now. But you get the heart. Jesus is our pacemaker. May you find rest for your weary souls because you don't have to carry the weight of the questions. He's got the weight on his shoulders. May you rest in him today as you go and be family, as you interact with one another, as you go have lunch, as you just rest and reconnect. I, th I think one of the things that the Jewish leaders totally missed and the reason why they had so much friction with Jesus is because they were looking at the letter of the law. You got to rest. You got to stop. You can't do anything. You can't carry a burden. We got to focus on the law. And Jesus is like, hold on a second. You focused on the letter of the law and missed the heart of it altogether. God said, don't work so that you can rest and reconnect with me. And what have I done? I have released a man who has been bound up with weight of, of, of an ailment for 38 years and I've released him from that burden so that he could be reconnected with his God and I pointed him back to God. Tell me that that's not the heart of the Sabbath. May we be the kind of people who operate at a different rhythm than the rest of the world. May the anxieties and the things that cause us, you know, keep us up at night, the worry sickness, May we lay that down at the foot of the cross just as much as we lay our own physical ailments down, just as much as we lay the things that are outside of our control down. May we lay our schedules down and reconnect with him. Because Jesus is not content to simply be a wise teacher who gave you some nice aphorisms that you can post on your social media. He claims to be so much more than that. He claims to be the rightful Lord of your life.
question I have for you is will you let him? Will you let him be the Lord of your time? Will you be, let him be the Lord of your family? Will you let him be the Lord of those alone times as much as you let him be the Lord of your social times when no one else is watching? Will you let him be the Lord of your finances? One of the reasons that we, we give isn't because God needs it. It's because it is a declaration of trust that says, my stuff is your stuff. Help yourself to my life. I trust you more than I trust my bank account. And if you feel inclined to, you can give. The box is in their back, but we're not going to pass a bucket. Not that we ever passed a bucket, but you get the idea. I'm just going to do this. If you want to join me, you can. I'm just going to, I'm going to hold my hands out as a, a tangible declaration that here I am. Everything that is me, everything that I hold dearly, everything from my family to my job to my expectations in life to my hopes and my dreams, my fears and my deepest wounds. It's all here. Father God, you created me. You entrusted this to me. I now submit it back to you and invite you to help yourself to my life. Help yourself to everything that is me to advance your kingdom purposes. Jesus, you are not just my savior. You're not just my miracle maker. You are also my pacemaker because you are the rightful Lord of my life. And I give it all to you and say, help yourself to this. You lead on. I know you're working so I can rest in you. Jesus, in your holy name, amen. Have a wonderful week.